Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. I'm Penny Lubinsky and I'm your host. And today we have a really special guest, Mendy Roskin. Mendy Roskin built his own property management company. He also owns a bunch of units himself. And I'd love to start diving in and asking him a bunch of questions about property management and real estate in general. Mendy, how's it going? Going great. Uh, pleasure to be here. Pleasure is mine. Uh, first question that I ask everyone on this show is, what led you down this path? How did you get into real estate in the first place? Uh, that's a good question. So generally, I think my, my end goal is always to get into real estate. Throughout time, I traded stocks. I went to school for finance. Eventually, we opened up, me and my friend in college, opened up two tech companies, raised money for those. That didn't really work out as fine as always. And then eventually from there, instead of working in a, you know, a hedge fund or working in a, any kind of money manager uh, department, Goldman Sachs or any other big firms, I just decided to kind of, uh, you know, why work for them and raise money for them if I can kind of raise money for myself and just own, you know, Entire, the entire project. So that led you into the investment side or the property management side? So the way it started off was we first went into the investment aspect of it, which was, you know, we uh, looked, up, looked at different markets. We first went to Albany, you know, try to find smaller buildings because I didn't know if I can afford something bigger than a hundred thousand dollar, you know, starting point. Um, from there, somehow people convinced me to go a little bigger. So I went to Newark actually, where a lot of people, you know, like to buy. Um, and I looked at a six unit. I actually went to contact with that six unit um, and then I got a, you know, engineer inspector to come down and check out the building. Um, one of the foundation walls were kind of caving in. That kind of scared me a little bit. I backed out of that. Um, I actually found my first deal on LoopNet. Surprising enough, you know, most people usually say that's not the best place to find deals, but I, I happened to find my first deal, I think at an entrance point. I mean, it's always good to kind of, you know, look at things on the market and see what people are posting. Um, I found my first deal on, on LoopNet. It was a six commercial, uh, 12 residential units. So so it was basically 18 units altogether. Um, and we, you know, just jumped into it. I actually went into contract without seeing the building. Um, I saw pictures, the numbers looked great. I said, let's do it. Negotiated it through the phone, got into contract right away. And then uh, I actually flew down to check it out in Chicago um, while we're in contract. Um, building looked great. You know, I didn't know anything about buildings. So it looked brand new. <laughs> it looked uh, like it was, uh, you know, sturdy. I'm like, hey, let's go for it. Um, from there, I waited a year because um, I didn't have enough. More, I didn't have any more money to to buy any more real estate. I actually borrowed a lot from my first building, so we can have as much um, equity in the deal as possible. Um, and then I couldn't find any more. I had no one else to give me money, so I waited a year. And then I finally found another good deal that was worth it, and I, you know, pushed pushed to uh, raise money for more family friends and got that deal done. And then since then, we tried to close. I would say every three to four months, you know, maybe two a year, uh, deals, depending how big it is, you know, Corona, you know, pushed one of my deals and made it, made it a full year to close just because it, it fell through and we came back into it. Um, but yeah, but, but we started off doing investments first. Um, we actually opened up our management branch um, around eight months ago, uh, just because we, we saw that we got big enough to a point where it's not worth it to have a third party managing our uh, buildings. It would be better if we can have our, you know, hands, hands-on experience and, and really be able to control the entire process. 
Got it, got it. So the first thing I want to just rewind a little bit is going back to the LoopNet deal. Um, I'm actually, I want to dive into that a little bit more. Most people are saying like LoopNet is great for practicing, but you're never going to find a deal there. There's too many eyeballs on it. Um, it's impossible. What, like, how did you find something that actually penciled out on LoopNet? Um, so it actually penciled out. I think the, the, the trick was, was that I got something that a lot of people were scared of, uh, six, six commercial, uh, you know, storefronts and, and 12 residential in a, in a little low, more low income area. People are generally, you know, try to shy away from the, from the storefronts. Um, to be honest, thank God every time those storefronts went vacant, I filled them within a month. Um, somehow this is a great block. I got very lucky. Um, and people just enjoy it. In these areas, most of the storefronts are more, they're more um, nonprofits, you know, more office spaces. I have one restaurant in them, but most of them are just nonprofit office spaces or just, you know, news, news office spaces. Uh, one of them, I, one of them is a Muslim journal, you know. Um, so I think people shied away from that in the area. They were scared of that. And that's where the numbers worked out. Um, I think that was actually one of my best cash on cash deals I, I probably ever bought. Um, you know, I, I always say sometimes being dumb. Is, is better than being smart. And in some occasions, uh, I, some people are always scared to get to real estate because they know all the ins and outs. They're researching all the ins and outs and how to put a deal together. I say, you know what? Don't look at that. Just take one step at a time. Find the deal. Offer. Get it done. Now, now you're in contract. Now find investors. Now you can put in a mortgage, mortgage contingency where you're, you can get your money back if you can't get a mortgage and you can't raise. It's fine. You know, but like I would say, instead of putting it all in front of your face where it's so scary, on uh, so, many, so many moving parts, how do we do it? I would say just start from, you know, step one, find a deal, work from there. A good deal, you can always raise money. Send it to a couple of friends and speak to a couple of friends and eventually just leave that and you can find it. multiple people that are interested in giving you money. Interesting. That's a cool concept because like I'm pretty new to the, to the multifamily space and um, a lot of people that I'm talking to on a regular basis, like you know, some of them are struggling with like an analysis paralysis and they need to have all their ducks lined up and they need to have, they need to know every single step where they're getting the money from and how they're setting this up and that up. And it's just interesting that you're saying like, there's, there's another way to do it. Like there's, there's a jump. Sort of yeah, I would say, I would say so. So it's surprising to me that most people do that. Cause I would say any big person out there that I know um, doesn't like real estate is, I think someone told me this on a couple of days ago, but real estate is the same is, is the only difference between Morgan Stanley and real estate is, is that real estate, you actually see, you actually see everything going on and it's not professional. You know, there's so many developments that I know of even in, in my, I was in Miami a couple of weeks ago and I, and I, my, one of my friends were kind of walking me through a development site that he's working on um, with, you know, another developer. And he said like, oh yeah, here's one building we're building, but here's the next lot that, that we bought part of this package, but we were 70, $70 million short, you know? So they're basically raising it as they're going and building it as they're going. And these guys are big guys, you know, and the majority of people generally, I would say that are in this field, there's nothing professional about it whatsoever, which is great. It's, it's constantly just kind of, uh, you know, winging it and making it work. Um, so yeah, I would say, I, I, know, I know a guy that was raising for two sixty million million deals and he was in contract with it and he went hard. And he, I mean, this guy's a big guy. He knows he can raise it, but he goes into contract first then he figures it out after he's in contract. Um, that's how say is, is really the best way of doing it. Yes, you can have your money lined up and you can have your investors, but not everyone is so lucky to have that. Um, right. And, you know, just go from there. So what you're saying is like, even if you don't have everything lined up, it shouldn't hold you back from putting in offers. It shouldn't hold you back from taking action and getting started. Oh, 100% not. I think, I think you should put in offers. And as long as you have some sort of concept of where you can get, you know, a quarter of the down payment or half the down payment, I think that's a great start. And then the rest you can raise, right? If you already have half of it, you're basically there. 
Now you just got to figure out how to get the other half. So get the, get the, get the deal in contract. You have 60 days, you know, 45 business days, 60 regular days, however you want to do the math to, to read. That's a long time. So if you got on the phone every single day and called five, 10 people, I can guarantee you if the, if the numbers work out and the deal makes sense, you'll raise the money. Got it. Got it. Cool. Interesting mindset. And I definitely agree with that. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, the property ma management side of things. Um, it, it, it sounds like as you grew, you decided to bring that in-house. I'm wondering, like, what did you see in um, third-party property managers that you're doing better now that it's your own properties? Like, what, what, what are some of the things that you were able to do, you know, implement and do better than, say, a third-party company? So I, I think there are a couple of things. I think uh, managing companies are, are doing management to make money while you know, a normal, a normal operator is managing to save money. Uh, I don't think you make money off management. You make money off the building itself. Um, if you bring it, if you have outside managing companies, a lot of them will make money off the unit terms. They'll make money off um, anything extra. That's what they make their money off. The 5%, 6%, 8%, depending on the area that you're doing management in, you're not actually, they're not making money off that. They're making money off Leasing, they're making money off um, unit turns, they're making money off collections, they're making money off any small you know, uh, inspection. If they have to walk through a unit and inspect a unit, they'll charge you 250 bucks for inspection cost, which cost them you know, 50 bucks. Um, so that's what generally these, these firms make money off. While when you do it yourself, um, you know, you're, not, you're, not, you're not doing it to make money, you're doing it to save money and manage your properties because at the end of the day, um, the best person to manage your properties are you. You care about it. It affects you. Every day you want to check out what's happening opposed to a third party, which a lot of things are kind of hidden. If there's problems with the building that you can fix right away, you won't know until later on. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so, so basically what you're saying is that you're, you're coming in with an owner's mindset, owner's mentality, and that is the best thing for your properties. And they'll, they'll get the, the most care and the most attention with you yourself running it. So my next question is, um, you live, uh, from my understanding, you live near near me. You live in New York, and most of your properties are out of state. How do you run a property management company when you're out of state? Is that difficult? Like, would you suggest that? Um, I think I think there are two there are two concepts to if you should even do property management or not. I think there are two, the two trains of thought. There's one train of thought where you use third party management and you just try to buy as many deals as possible, and not have to focus on the management itself and and build and make your money off the unit count. Um, then there's another philosophy where it's like, I'd rather I can own less units and push these properties to the max and make the same, same, same amount of money, but um, you know, you're managing yourself. Um, so I, I, I would say, you know, it is a headache to do property management when you're not in the area. Um, I think it's always better to live in the area and do property management. I mean, but I do as many things as I can to, to make sure that I can be there without being there. So with technology these days, you can kind of track a lot of things. So for example, um, cash collections bill and bills being paid, for example. You can see that I use Appfolio, people use Yardy, people use Buildium. I mean, there's so many different types of property management software out there that you can see, you know, my account department, I know that they're working, I see checks going in, I see bills going in, and I see bills getting paid. Great, now I know the accounting department's getting paid. Um, I also install cameras in all my properties and I have cameras in my office. So I can kind of see exactly what's happening in, you know, at the properties and I, and I can see exactly what's happening at the office. Um, we have different, we implement different things for, for example, maintenance, um, where maintenance, the maintenance staff will go down to these buildings and we'll have to take pictures of, of the maintenance calls um, and kind of sign off on them to make sure that they're, that, that they're, um, that they're fixed. Um, leasing, for example, we, what we do is all the leads that come in, we put on, we put on a lead sheet, on a lead sheet. Um, every day they have to update their lead sheet. 
if you know if someone's not leasing for after two three weeks, then we know that they're not doing the job, right? Um, so it's really it's really you can tell if if it's working just by things happening. You know, if things are not happening, you can tell something's going wrong. Um, but yes, it's hard. You have to really hire trustworthy people who believe in the vision. Got it. Got it. So it sounds like really good people and really good systems is the only way to make this possible and to make. Yeah, it I think even if even if you are in you know in the city itself, it's all about the systems. I mean. Property management is just like you can hire somebody who has no experience in property management. If you and if you help them, you know, three four weeks, hold their hand through the whole process, and and they're and they're methodical, and they can kind of you know make sure that everything is running. Uh, that's really what you need. You just need someone who's who can just move things and make things happen. Got it. Now, as far as during COVID, obviously there's different new struggles, new things coming up for landlords, property managements. Like, what are you seeing as far as collections and tenant retention? Um, what's going on with that on that side? Um, Yes. Yeah, so I think there's a mix. It really depends on what market you're in. If you're in, you know, it depends on, uh, on the median income of the area, right? If you have people that make less money, I think those areas are getting hit a lot faster. Um, the people like I have buildings in different areas. The ones that I have in nicer areas, um, have, you know, 92 to 95% collected, which is really? astonishing. Um, the stuff that are in the lower income areas, some of them are 60%, some of them are 80%, just is what it is. Nothing you can do about it. Um, tenants can't afford to pay rent. You try to work out payment plans with them. You try to help them out. You try to see what the story is. You try to help them apply for, you know, rent subsidy programs. Um, but it's just, it's a tough time. And I think, uh, you know, this just makes us stronger. Got it. But it, it, okay. So what's interesting is that it seems like your, uh, higher income areas are getting over 90% collections, which is pretty cool. That's actually pre pretty solid. So assuming someone's buying in a, you know, a good reputable area, um, with with a strong tenant base, like they shouldn't have a problem as far as you know vacancies and stuff, even during COVID. It's I mean, you hear mixed stories, right? I think it also depends on the market. Every market's different, but I think I mean I don't know anything about New York City during Corona, but there are people that have you know 15 properties and two of them are getting hit hard. Um, I spoke to somebody who has properties and everyone's paying, and he doesn't know why. He's like, I don't get why they're paying. You can't evict across the entire United States. I think it's luck. I think it's a mixture of luck. It's a mixture of. Uh, um, the area, there's so many different thing, variables that are moving that I think it's very hard to kind of say what the concept is, but I think right now the most important thing is to be very, very um, connected with the tenants and try to be very transparent with them and, and try to help them out and, and, you know, kind of create that, that conversation with them to uh, help them help them pay. Right. Got it. Now, I hear a lot of people, you know, when, when people are looking to acquire a property or looking into markets, um, a lot of landlords, property managers are saying we want to stay away from uh, D-class areas, uh, high crime or, you know, low income, stuff like that. Is that something as a property manager that you would like to shy away from or is that something that doesn't phase you? What's your thoughts on that? So, I mean, we, we, we manage in, in, pretty, in pretty interesting areas, I would say. We have some pretty interesting stories that happen every single day. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't know if I, could, I would consider my area a D-class area. I would consider it, you know, a C-plus. B minus, depending on what building it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I would say it's way easier to manage in, in a, uh, in a higher class area. Um, the lower class area is more management intensive. You know, you'll need more staff. You need more hands-on. Complaints are way more complaints. Things are always breaking, um, just because tenants sometimes break it. It's just it's part of the business, you know. And that's just really what you got to kind of deal with. Every business has its pro, pros and cons. You know, if you have the low income market, uh, you know, worked out and you and you got all the kinks out. Then, uh, then you should be good to go. If some people, it's not built for everybody. Right. And, and from my understanding, the D class, like if you are willing to put up with it, then the returns are sometimes better than the other properties. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. The more risk reward, right? If you, if you go into these markets that have, uh, 
that have higher risk, you're going to get a, a higher return. The question is, oh, what is risk, right? Sometimes you have you have a market that's higher risk, but it's you know if you live in the area, you're like, uh, I don't see that. I think it's just you know bad press. Um, so that's kind of what, what we look for. I mean, we we own a lot around Jackson Park, um, a lot around Hyde Park, which is basically uh, Woodlawn, Kenwood, Bronzeville, uh, Jackson Park. Um, South Shore. Um, I, mean, I mean, now you're having the Obama Center getting built in that park over there. That's a breaking ground. I mean, and, and you have slow gentrification happening very slowly, super slow. But our hopes are that, you know, in five to 10 years, uh, these areas change over drastically um, to a point where, you know, we could really make our money off the sale. I think at the end of the day, cash flow in, in real estate is not the main goal. The main goal is generally, you know, for the refi or the sale. That's how you make your real money. Got it. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Let's move on to the uh, final four. Um, what is your why? Like why I do real estate? Why? Yeah. Why real estate? And what, what keeps you going through the hard days? Um, so I guess what keeps me going through the hard days is knowing that there's always be another deal out there. Um, growing, constant growing. I, I, I really enjoy what I do. I, you know, I think everyone enjoys making money. Um, I think that's why everyone's in the business. Right. Um, you know, if you, if you didn't like making money, I don't know if the stress is worth it. Right. Um, and, and the freedom. Question, question. Do you think you have to find your passion first or do you think you find something that makes money and then that will bring the passion? I mean, it's a good question. I, I think uh, I think it goes both ways, right? I think if you make a lot of money in something, uh, you're going to love it. Um, and if you love something yeah. that you don't make a lot of money in, you may hate it because it's not working. So I think obviously it depends on the person, but I think if something makes you money, eventually you'll, you'll learn to love it. Because if you can have that freedom and travel and enjoy life, I, why not? Yeah, exactly. Um, what is your favorite book? Favorite book? That's a good question. Um, I, I would love, I, I wish I had the patience to read books. I just don't. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I generally have patience to read articles. So I constantly, you know, I constantly read, you know, Yahoo Finance. I read uh, The Real Deal, I just uh, Cranes, a lot of the, you know, the business section, anything that kind of comes up, uh, just kind of, you know, try to stay in touch with the market. Sometimes it's random Google. Google different things that are happening, read different articles. New York Times can come up with an article on real estate. Just kind of keep up to date on, on what's happening. Um, that's really it. Awesome. Um, okay, what advice would you give somebody that's just starting out now in real estate? The number one best advice for them? Just do it. That's it. I, I, th I think people overthink a lot of things and that's what kind of stops people from doing things. Um, just do it. Just go out there, find a deal and, and don't worry about how to raise it. You know, if you fail, fail it. Failure is fine. People always ask me what happens if I find a deal and I bring investors in and I lose their money. There will always be someone else out there that will give you money. So just keep on looking, keep on finding, keep on pushing. That's it. All right. What's your favorite hobby? Favorite hobby. That's a good one. Enjoy. I enjoy traveling. I enjoy, like I, I, I go snowboarding a lot. I feel like a lot of times people focus too much on work and, and they get too, too into it and, and uh, they get upset and they let it, you know, take them down and, and drown their day. Um, I would say just try to get away from that sometimes and just enjoy life a little bit. And that's what I try to do. Mm -hmm. And beautiful. Very nice. All right, Mendy, thank you very much. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you sharing all the value, and, uh, sharing all this information about property management and all that cool stuff. I'm wishing you lots of luck moving forward. All right. Thank you so much.